This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Pearl Auto, the folks that make wireless review cameras for your car that retrofit around your license plate and sync with your smartphone so you can drive safer. Check it out at pearlauto.com fool and get free two-day shipping. It's Tuesday, September 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Howdy. You know what we're not going to talk about today? Last night's debate. Giddy up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on board. We're going to be the one business show that actually talks about business today. How yeah. about we do that? Yep. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. we got another cruise line doing well. We'll get to that. Let's start with the fact that food prices in the United States have fallen for nine straight months. And that may not sound like a lot, but with the exception of the Great Recession, that is actually the longest streak of food deflation in more than 55 years. And maybe not surprisingly, shares of Kroger hitting a 52-week low today. And we'll, we'll go wide on the grocery industry, but I was surprised to see Kroger because that's a business that we've talked about in pretty glowing terms. And I think deservedly so when you look at how management has grown that business, how they not only made the acquisition of Harris Teeter, but incorporated it really well and kept that brand going, which is, you know, that, that was a big, I mean, you and I talked about that at the time. And one of the things we talked about was this is a big acquisition. It makes sense on paper. Execution is everything at this point. They've executed that well. Mm-hmm. Again, I go back to which is why I'm a little bit surprised that this stock is hitting a 52-week low. Yeah, I don't. Well, so I don't think that it's a Kroger-specific problem. I mean, I think this is just generally a a market problem. I think when you look at just these all of these different grocers, whether it's Kroger or Whole Foods, I mean, let's lump Costco even in there because Costco is essentially a grocer for a lot of folks. Uh, they are all really feeling a lot of pressure here, and I'll go back to um, I'll go back to something I, I talked about I think a couple of weeks ago when I was going through United Natural Foods uh, quarter, and they're a big supplier, a big a big distributor for all of these of these um, grocers, and they, and they mentioned that this most recent quarter represented the lowest level of quarterly flu, uh, food inflation that they've seen in at least seven years. So to your point at the beginning there. Um, yeah, I mean, food prices are down, and that's great for consumers. It's yes. really difficult for businesses to to uh, bring the profitability, so to speak. Uh, I think you got to look at that one of two ways, though. I mean, is it something that's going to last forever? No, probably not. Again, going to UN, uh, UNFI, United Natural Foods uh, quarter, there they said that the current market right now they called it hyper competitive, and so. Um, I think one of the keys with this space, when you're considering investments in this space, uh, you want to you want to go with those concepts that have scale, and, and and certainly Kroger is one of those, because that really gives them the better opportunity to sort of deal with tough times like these. They they can they can sort of deal with these lumps a little bit a little bit more easily and and the expectations I think are such that you know look Kroger's Kroger's a business that in good times is is going to probably warrant an eighteen nineteen 
possibly 20 multiple earnings multiple at, at the highest. Right now, it's around 14. I would argue that today is the time when you want to be looking at actually buying a business like Kroger. I think Kroger is a very well-run grocer, a good operator in a tough segment, a tough space. That I think this ultimately probably represents an opportunity for folks that can take a little bit of a longer time horizon there. Conversely, I think when you look at something like Whole Foods, for example, which is a business we've talked a lot about here at the Fool for many years, John Mackey, co-CEO, sits on our board of directors. Yep, absolutely, and and I think. Whole Foods is is a it's a good business. I think it's really stuck in a tough spot though, because for the longest time, they were doing something different. They were they were differentiated. They they had sort of this experience that went along with the concept. So you were going. It was more than just grocery shopping, so to speak. And and I think that a lot of that still exists today. I mean, Whole Foods that they just always seem to be very well kept and nice, good experiences. But they are not going to be able to keep on charging those kinds of prices and 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 keep up with sort of the pace of growth of the greater segment here. I don't think, and um, I, I think that for investors that really presents a conundrum. If you're a, if you're a Whole Foods shareholder today, it gives you a lot to think about. And if you're not a Whole Foods shareholder today, I don't know that I'd put this up there on the top of the list. I, I, I would I would most certainly look at Kroger as the better opportunity today. Um, you go to even some of these grocers that are not publicly traded. We're talking before taping about Wegmans, which is, I think, mainly an East Coast phenomenon. I think a big presence up in New York. There are some stores here in Virginia, and I've gone, I've gone to Wegmans a few times here over the past week. I've just been very impressed with the experience. Um, they're very big stores, uh, but but just breaking down some numbers, and you can kind of see where Wegmans is really performing well here. And and I want to just sort of compare Wegmans to Whole Foods so you can kind of see where. Uh, some of the advantages may lie here. Wegmans has 91 stores, brought in $8 billion in sales in 2015. So that equates to about $88 million per store per year. Whole Foods has 434 stores, brought in uh, $15.6 billion over the last 12 months, which comes out to about $36 million per store per year. And so you can certainly see that Wegmans is getting a lot more bang for their buck. And when you consider the fact that Wegmans is a far more attractive place to go for the crossover consumer, it doesn't. You don't have to make that big of a leap to figure. Well, okay, those are probably there are probably more concepts like that all the way across the country. I mean, these are just little family-held, you know, private stores that don't have to deal with sort of the vagaries of, of, of being public and and uh, the the sort of baggage that comes with it. Whole Foods is is, is stuck in a little bit of a the bind there, Kroger, not nearly the same way. I mean, they've already got this established footprint from from sea to shining sea, so to speak. And and to your point about Harris Teeter, I do I give them an A for that acquisition. I think they've integrated that in their business such that most people probably couldn't even tell you that Harris Teeter was owned by Kroger, and and that was the key, right? They they right. just kept it business as usual. I think they've done a good job with that. And uh, and so yeah, going forward, I think I think certainly Kroger looks like the more opportune um, idea. You can also throw Trader Joe's into that category, along with Wegmans, of just sort of the the private companies that yeah. probably are never going to go public, despite all the affinity <laughs> that that uh, people seem to have for those brands. Yeah. Um, if you're Trader Joe's, you're just sort of like, well, no, we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, you go public really for we, what? We don't need the hassle. Yeah, you go public because you want to get the you want the financing, right? You want the money to grow. And in in most cases, like these businesses, simply 
they don't need you know they don't need to do that that's not part of their plan so to speak um so yeah you, you got to take the good with the bad i guess but but when it comes to the grocery uh segment it's it's a very difficult space to begin with and again you've got to look at it from two perspectives it's a great time for consumers because prices are relatively low and that's not always going to be the be the way it is and when that does change i mean you're going to see concepts like Wegmans and Kroger uh, i think they'll be able to deal with sort of passing along some of those price increases a little bit more easily uh, than than something like a whole foods and trader joe's of course is is a value offering from the get go Last week, Ron Gross and I talked about Royal Caribbean. Uh, today, Carnival Cruise Line shares up four percent after posting record profits in the third quarter. Not that I thought these things were going out of business, <laughs> but I just like last week with Royal Caribbean, where I was sort of surprised at how well they're doing. I'm. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm also a little surprised at how well Carnival Cruise Line is doing. I, I'm I'm a little bit surprised myself. It's it's an interesting space. I had uh, talked to Mike Olson a few weeks back. We were just in the office, just talking shop, and I mean, it, it's an interesting space in that the one thing they've really got going for them is the barriers to entry there. Right, I mean that's just not an easy market to get into. <laughs> you need a lot of money just to get one ship, not right. not to mention a hundred. So um, I think that that's probably what makes some of these businesses uh, at least attractive from the perspective of you know hitching your wagon to the biggest star, Carnival. I mean they're the they're the biggest cruise line out there, and and I think there probably is is. Uh, some argument there. I mean, it's not. It doesn't have the the greatest history as far as an investment goes. I mean, it's not one of those investment ideas that is a is a market beater over longer periods of time. So when I look at businesses like these, um, and and I, I say this with never having been on a cruise before ever, and and honestly, man, I've got zero interest, like less than zero. <laughs> it's just not my style. <laughs> I have a feeling that something bad's going to happen, and. and I mean, are they ever really going to be able to get rid of the poop cruise moniker? Oh. <laughs> I mean, is that? I mean, they're always going to have is that, that. Theirs? Yeah. Oh, it's theirs. I didn't know that was yeah. their moniker. It is, it is theirs. Well, you know what? Uh, they must have gotten past it to some degree because they just they just posted over a billion dollars in profit. Which leads me to my next point. Okay. <laughs> I would actually consider investing in a business like this at the very very. When when it seems like things couldn't get any worse, so when the headlines are reading poop cruise, that's when you need to say, what, okay, <laughs> maybe this is an opportunity because unless they're financially uh, in despair, I mean they're going to have the balance sheet, the ability to kind of deal with with uh, with tough times. I mean, there isn't a lot of competition out there for them, and this is a market that still exists and is actually growing, albeit somewhat slowly. It's still growing, and I think that. Uh, there, there are certainly opportunities for for these cruise uh, these cruise liners to to sort of make better on the cost structure and, and actually grow some profitability there. I think uh, you can kind of look at the cruises like you might look at Walt Disney in that you wouldn't want to see uh, these guys having to resort to big price cuts to get people on the boats. I think that's when you look at that and you say, okay, that could be. A a sign that maybe business isn't booming, maybe we're in a bit of a recession or something like that. Those are the times when you want to kind of consider looking at these businesses and thinking, okay, how bad is it? How bad can it get? And then maybe maybe that's the most opportunistic time to invest in a business like that. And again, I think 
you look back to those kinds of things that we look for in investment ideas, whether it's switching costs or barriers to entry. I think there's some barriers to entry here that at least uh, merit merit digging a little deeper. Before we dip into the mailbag, gotta say thanks to Pearl Auto for supporting today's episode. Pearl Auto makes a set of wireless rear view cameras that fit around your license plate and sync with your smartphone so that you can drive safer. We actually uh, got one of these devices and put it on the full mobile. And these things are super easy to install. Just takes a couple of minutes with a screwdriver, and you download the Pearl app for your iPhone or your Android phone. You mount the phone on your dashboard, and you're good to go. You you can so if if you've got one of those cars that doesn't have a backup camera, you can now retrofit it. You've got two HD cameras to see what's behind you. This thing has audio alerts. Uh, to warn you about any obstacles that are in your way, uh, it works on any car, and it's the panel is solar powered, so it stays charged on its own, and the Pearl app will automatically update to add additional features. I gotta say, I test drove this thing; I was really impressed with it, and I've got I've got a vehicle with a backup camera, and I actually like this thing better. Really, because it has it has a couple of different views. It can you can go wide, you can go wide view. Uh, you can go just sort of straight on view and the audio alerts. I like that. You know? I, well, yeah, you know, I got a I got a new car last year, and it's the first car I've ever had with that reverse camera. And I gotta say, man, I don't I don't know how you live without it. Like, right. To me, it is just a phenomenal. I don't even consider it a luxury, man. I consider it like a necessity. And I think we talked about that. Like they're gonna be required. I guess it's they're gonna be required on, new, on cars. new cars starting on the 2018 models. So. Kind of amazing. It's not required now, but I mean, I guess that makes sense to a degree. Um, but but yeah, I consider it like. I, I, I mean, I use it all of the, all of the time. Obviously. Yeah. Like I mean, it's it's just so. I guess I just kind of wonder for this business. I mean, there is sort of a timeline there, right? I mean, yeah. At some point, but, but there are there are so many millions of cars that don't yeah. that don't have this. And if you're if you're going to pay a professional to do it, it's going to cost you a few thousand bucks. And uh, uh, that's not the case with Pearl Auto. Um, and a special offer for our lif- listeners: if you go to pearlauto.com/fool, you can get free two day shipping. Uh, so check it out. Go to pearlauto.com/fool. Check it out just to see the device. When I first heard about this, I was like, "What is this thing?" So <laughs> yeah. it's 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 really worth checking out just for that. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Clifford Cotta, longtime listener who writes, "Be careful what you say about Bed Bath and Beyond. It sounds a lot like what you guys used to say about Best Buy." He's not wrong. No, he's not. Wrong. He's not wrong about that. And I was thinking about it. I'll throw another name out there. GameStop. That is one. I mean, we started doing market foolery. We started doing this podcast five and a half years ago. And if you had said at that, you know, if if, if we had been kicking around, and maybe we did, if you <laughs> dig deep into the archives, maybe we did have an episode where we said, okay, Bed Bath and Beyond, Best Buy, GameStop, which one of these is going to be still be a standalone public company five years from now? And the fact is, all three are. All three are, yeah. yeah. I mean, I um, so Clifford, Clifford, you know, razzing us a little bit, but uh, a, a nice reminder: be skeptical, people. That you know what? That's why we have the disclaimer at the end. There don't, you go. Don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. Well, and I love that email, Clifford. I mean, that I mean, it's a good reminder for a number of reasons. I mean, number one, it's just always remember that. Hey, man, this is a business of getting stuff wrong. And the <laughs> best thing you can do, the best thing you can do, is to. Go back and, and assess why you got it wrong. 
You know, I mean, it, it, it perfect example. And I'm going to have fun actually doing this. But I mean, it was at the beginning of the month where I had a lot of people asking me the question about Twitter and a potential acquisition there. And I mean, I said, listen, I get it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it get acquired. I'd really be surprised to see something happen before the middle of 2017, simply because I think they want to see what kind of data they get from this go live thing. And sure as shooting, it sounds like Twitter's <laughs> getting ready to be acquired. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, obviously, got that. It seems very wrong. Um, and, and Twitter may turn out to be an investment where we make a little money, and I'm still going to consider it a mistake. And I'm going to go through and figure out why I did what I did, what lessons I can learn from it. And I think that any of these, these all serve as great examples of it, it, it's a never ending quest. You're always figuring out how to get better. There are always things you can learn from and, and never be so big headed as to, to not be able to embrace your mistakes and figure out how they can make you better. Thanks, Clifford. Before we wrap up, uh, the great. Arnold Palmer died over the weekend at the age of 87, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because you are, you're a golf guy. Sure. And I knew of Arnold Palmer. Um, I'm old enough to have seen him play in his later years, not his yeah. sort of his heyday. And he always struck me as just this incredibly likable guy. This this this. Uh, uh, one of the all-time greats in the sport of golf. What I did not realize, and have come to realize over the last couple of days, reading stories about him and, and seeing and, and listening to coverage, is his impact on the business of golf. In the way that, it, if if I'm reading this stuff correctly, Arnold Palmer was really the first sort of everyman star golfer who's who brought golf more into the mainstream than it was. Yeah. Before he started playing, he he was beloved by the fans and the whole the whole notion of uh, Arnie's army, um, uh, and and by the way, did really well as a businessman himself. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah he, he was a very shrewd businessman, and I think um, you know thankfully I was I'm old enough as well to to have uh, seen him play in his in his later years. I got to see him a few times at Augusta, and it was just never a dull moment. I mean, he always just. I mean, everybody was just always forming around him, and and it's easy to understand why. I mean, he just gen, he just genuinely loved it. Like he loved being around people. You could see he just he just was a good guy, and um, I think he's a great lesson out there for pretty much anyone. Um, I mean, life is way bigger <laughs> than than just you and what you're doing, and when you take time out to acknowledge other people, I mean. There are just so many things that that come from that 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 just can have lifelong implications. And I think the Golf Channel had this great uh, series called Arnie. I think it was a three part series, if I remember correctly. But it was just really, really well done, and it shows you how he impacted so many people. And then like another special uh, that, that sort of delved into that a little bit further. So he just obviously had a lot of, had just a great impact on a lot of people in and outside of the game and to your point he really did i think help bring golf to the mainstream as a businessman i mean whether it's course design golf club management i mean we were very familiar with with uh, some of the clubs that when i was working in the golf business i mean some of the some of the clubs that were that were under his management umbrella and um so yeah i mean he he's he's always going to be remembered as as one of the greats and and interestingly enough one of those guys that didn't actually win all four majors. You know, you have 
Those guys, you go back and you look and you think they're one of the greatest. And yeah, he indeed is one of the greatest. But he, I think he, he was uh, shy of the PGA Championship. So he didn't actually even win all four majors. But you could just see that like at the time where he was doing what he was doing. I mean, he was doing it just differently than everyone else. And it just obviously had a profound impact. And so, you know, we're only on this earth for so long. And, and it seems like he really, really made the best of it. And to have, a, to have your own drink. That's pretty sweet. The iced tea and lemonade. Yeah, I mean, and it's like not a drink that's gonna like make you make you act like an idiot. You know, I mean, right. It's just it's. it's I a mean, drink there's an alcohol. Can have. There's an alcoholic version sure. of the Arnold Palmer, but you can just anybody can enjoy an, an Arnold Palmer. Absolutely, no, just just a, a phenomenal guy on and off the golf course, and just uh, as a golf nut, I feel very lucky to have. Uh, been able to watch it. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.